we've got another reaction video, not video, episode for you. And we got a lot to talk about. A lot has happened in the last couple of weeks. Neil and I are, are glad to riff on a couple of these topics. And we're just going to start from the very top. And the first one that we want to bring up is how Apple's WWDC happened yesterday as of this recording. And a lot, their big announcement, their marquee announcement was the Vision Pro. You know, it's not just called the Vision. It's called the Vision Pro. Do you want to describe what it is? Well, Neil froze, so I'm going to describe what it is while he he comes back. So, the Vision Pro is their let's call it their their what they're defining as their AR headset, so augmented reality headset, and it comes in at a price of thirty five hundred dollars, and it's really interesting because you can do a lot of stuff with it. Neil, what did you see with it? Yeah, so it looked really cool. I watched a lot of the videos on YouTube as well from people who were saying like, oh, try this out and this is what it felt like and they were giving the in-depth reviews. The Apple video teaser that they release on their website gives you a good overview. I liked it. Everyone's saying it's overpriced. I'm going to buy it. Uh, I'm waiting for it to come out, of course. I was a little bit disappointed on how they're announcing it now and then you can't buy it until 2024. But I get it because they were saying that they need time for developers to go and create apps and stuff and build the ecosystem. But um, the reason I love it is for a few reasons. One, I'm a big movie watcher. I yep, travel you can have like so three much. on at the same time. Yeah, you can just have a big screen on, wear the goggles when I'm on a plane, and I'll just start watching these uh, movies, and it'll be like I'm in a movie theater. So that part I love. The second thing that I love is you can actually use it as a computer screen, right? So you're wearing the goggles through your hand gestures and your eyes. You can end up uh, changing things or like clicking on icons, looking at photos, browse the web. The list goes on and on. But the reason I love it is I believe it's going to change marketing. And Apple, even if this first version isn't perfect... Over time, I believe they'll penetrate the market. A lot of people will start using them and it'll start creating new forms of advertising um, that we don't have access to right now. If you look at what Apple did with the App Store, a lot of companies, including us and you, for a lot of our clients at NP Digital, we're running ads on the App Store. It drives a positive ROI, assuming you can do it right. I believe this will create a whole new ecosystem, just like Amazon too. I was at an event in Utah maybe a month or so ago, and I met up with some of the Amazon guys. And Amazon was telling me like, hey, we can swap in ads on our shows and movies that we create at Amazon. So when you're watching Prime, they can just switch it out. Just like how you're doing a pay-per-click ad, they can just start rotating stuff out. And it looked really cool based on what they were showing me. But I think you're going to start seeing a whole new... Uh, ad category in which you'll be able to advertise in uh, augmented reality or virtual reality or whatever you want to end up calling it. Um, and I think that's exciting and fun for marketers because these devices, they're allowing you to see the world in a different way, um, which I believe will end up making it where there'll be a totally different ad format. And a prime example of this is imagine being able to, like if you look at how they're doing FaceTime, in the Apple glasses, and this was my favorite feature, they do like a 3D scan of you and it looks pretty realistic. Now imagine if they can take that and your friends all wearing the goggles and you could be in a mall together and they see an ad for Chanel. So when you walk into the mall first, the first thing you see is Chanel store. You guys are all there together. 
And what ends up happening is, is you try on different purses or bags or wallets or t-shirts or shorts. I don't know what they sell other than purses. And you click the buy button, boom, within a few hours, it's delivered to your house or within a day or two, it's delivered to your house. Like I just see a ton of new ad formats that are opening up. And the real cool part about it is because they're able to scan your face and make a realistic looking like FaceTime version of yourself. So when you do FaceTime with other people, take that one step further. One's if you want to do interactions with other people in this quote unquote uh, virtual world and you guys are all together in one place, even though you guys live in different cities or states or countries. Yeah. So I think the key thing to understand here is that Apple might potentially be changing computing as a whole here. And if you think about our behaviors, a lot of our shopping, a lot of our reading, it's done on computers. And if they're they're fundamentally changing and shifting computing, much like how they were shifting mobile back in 2010 or so, they're going to be the leaders here and they might become the next big app platform. I mean, they already kind of are a big app platform when it comes to the the Apple, the app store, the app uh, app store ads. Right. And one key thing to to call it here to or this is more of a small thing, but Safari, which is Apple's browser, they're locking it down more and more, meaning that. It's the removing URL trackers completely. So UTM trackers and things like that, those are gone. They're blocking trackers from loading. They're locking browser windows. And so they're locking more and more people into their ecosystem. And so from a business standpoint, and I'll talk about some of the marketing stuff as well, but there, there's more and more lock-in because if, if, you, if you're like Neil and I, we're, we use a lot of Apple stuff, right? I, I'm on an Apple device right now. He's on an Apple device. We have our iPhones. You can look at your computer. You look at it, boom, it becomes a big screen, right? On, your, on the, the vision. Now, you can unlock different devices that you have too, and there's this entire ecosystem, the services that you use, whether it's music or whatever. Now you just live within the the Apple ecosystem, and now you're going to be locked in even more. And so that means at the end of the day, more profits for them as a business. I'm not saying everyone can do it, but if you're able to do that, then you have more control over, over over how your business does over a long period of time. Now, the other thing too is we... You know, Neil was kind of just mentioning like the, there's new ad formats and all that too, right? And so I just think ads are going to be there. When you think about native advertising, for example, when you're let's say you're reading a blog post, sometimes it's just like a story that's in there, and it, it doesn't really feel like an ad to you. And I think advertising, as we know, it's going to change where it's going to be less interruptive and it's going to be more integrated into the things that you're looking at because literally you're, you're watching things, right? The other thing to pay attention to as well is. This is their version, basically their version zero. And when you think about Apple Watch when it first came out, we knew it wasn't going to be a great product. The battery life wasn't that long. It wasn't super well developed. And so we know over time it's going to continue to get better. Neil, do you know the battery life of this this Vision Pro? I don't, but I was reading somewhere, or not reading, I was watching videos. Someone was talking about a few hours, so I don't know how accurate or inaccurate that is. Yeah, have fun with it. It's two hours. So yeah, that's what I saw. I I don't mind the two hours because can you just leave it plugged in? You can leave it plugged in. You just need to be near like a USB C or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but if I'm on an airplane, the only the main place I'm going to be using it is when I'm on an airplane. So yep. the seats already have plugs. Just plug that thing in. Yep. I just, look. I think this is interesting. Obviously, the, the you have to think there's there's a pricing exercise too, right? There targeting they're targeting the early adopters and so neil saying he he might pick it up and and for for a lot of people it's going to be a little no, no, price prohibitive. i'll buy it i'll buy it yeah okay for sure he's going to buy it. he'll probably buy some for his kids too but it's they <laughs> want the early adopters to come in right <laughs> you're gonna buy for your kids and it's like it's one. the new ipad the parents should all buy it for their kids because it's a new ipad right 
Dude, even my four-year-old daughter, she has like two iPads and iPad Pros and new ones. And one of them she broke. So she's like, Daddy, can I get a new one? I promise I won't break this. And I was like, okay, honey. And uh, I bet you if I get the goggles, she'd be like, Daddy, can I try? And she'd be like, Daddy, can I get it? And I was like, how am I going to say no to her? Yeah. Okay. So I guess Neil's going to be buying three of them at, at, at minimum for his two kids and him. Um, but look, I think there's there there's a lot of marking lessons here. The WWDC event, so to, to Neil's point, yes, it's not coming out for six months, but it's one of their most anticipated events every single year. And so to announce it here, to have this whole, when you have an event, there's a lot of fanfare, there's a lot of hype that builds it up. And it lived up to the hype, the creative that they had for it too. I highly recommend everyone watch the creative. It's like a nine minute video on how it all works. That's how you build a lot of FOMO into this product where it makes like, I want it desperately, but I'm like, man, I think I might just wait to the next product cycle, but chances are I might just go buy it. So. And yeah, it's an expensive device. You may not get the penetration as most people are thinking, like with the watch, uh, they sell roughly $40 million, 40 million watches per year, at least that's from headphoneaddict.com. My guess is they'll sell somewhere around like 10 million of these devices. I yeah. still think that's a lot because I don't look at it as a virtual reality device. I think I look at this as a new way to do computing, new way, uh, new way for us to browse the web, read articles, watch movies. I see it as way more than one of those meta headset devices like those Oculus ones. Yeah, now it's game on for for Meta as well because this is supposed to be their space. And you know whether Apple, uh, this, Apple's this kind of Metas. I, I've never even once thought about buying a Meta Oculus device, but this thing actually does quite a bit from being able to run a lot of the programs and the apps I'm using to browsing the internet. Like I can actually use this to do a lot of tasks. It's more useful than just oh go play video games. Yeah. Look, it's practical. You know, we like it. It's interesting. So let's move on to the next thing. Actually, a, a related note here is um, so Neil, we kind of talked about this recently, but we also talked about this with mutual friends and what it takes to actually build a generational business. If you think about Apple, I think they've been around since what since, since 1976. Is that what it is? I think Apple, you're googling it right now. Uh, um, they. So Apple was created in 1976. You're right, April 1. Oh, wow. Okay, so 1976. So they've been around for years, right? Like we're not talking about like a decade or so. We, we're talking basically 40, almost 50 years. They've been around for almost 50 years. And they almost died. Keep in mind, like Steve Jobs, original founder, was fired. And they created the, the, you know, the Macintosh and you know, eventually the iPod, which led to the iPhone. Most people probably don't even know what the iPod is by now. And then now they're, they're, they're leading Microsoft away. Microsoft bailed them out. Do you remember that? Microsoft bailed yeah. them out? Because yeah. antitrust, they needed another competitor. So I think they yep. gave them, what was it, 100 million bucks back in the day? 500, I think. Yeah. No, I think it was 100 million. Want to bet? I think uh, it's 500. Mike. Okay. While you search it up. Okay. So the vision, bro. So the point here that I'm trying to make is that it takes not one year, not five years, not 10 years, but 20 plus years to truly build something generational. And I think Neil had to learn the hard way. I had to learn the hard way as well. And we had to get slapped in the face a couple of times to just realize that you get what you focus on. So we're both wrong. Microsoft in 1997 invested $150 million in Apple when they were on the brink of bankruptcy. Okay, so you're, you're closer to being right. Either yeah. way, we're, it was a lot of money, but it's not that much money considering their market cap. Microsoft did end up selling off a lot of that stock. If they kept it, Microsoft's market cap would be through the roof right now. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, you heard what I said, right? Look, it, it takes 20 plus years to build something really great. You know, and those of you totally like, don't, don't feel stressed just because you see other people hitting it big and the headlines with the VC back stuff. Because a lot of the VC back stuff is now vapor, right? A, a lot of the unicorns are like, maybe they're just donkeys now. So the way I look at it in entrepreneurship and marketing, you start seeing traction, decent traction within three years from my experience as an entrepreneur and as an investor. Uh, within five years, things can really start hitting their stride and it takes really 10 plus years to build something. Uh, and it takes much longer than that to build something generational. Uh, I would agree with Eric, maybe 20 plus years. But when you're starting off as an entrepreneur, if you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel uh, in which you're getting traction within three years, you're doing something wrong. And if you don't see how your business can be around 10 plus years from now, you're probably in the wrong business. You need to be thinking super long run in 10 plus year increments. Of course, you need to see traction on an annual basis or quarterly basis. But if you don't see your business around in 10 plus years, you're kind of screwed. All right. Pick the next one. So the next one is uh, Twitter ads revenue drops 59%. That's kind of crazy. Where'd you get that stat from? So this stat was from, let's see, it, it was from the register. So let me read the headline here. So leaked documents show a 59% ad revenue decline last month. Can a Yaks back get Twitter back on track? So Yak is, I guess, Yakarino is, that's how her last name is pronounced. Um, Linda Yakarino is reportedly starting work at the Bird site today, weeks earlier than expected, in the wake of a wave of leadership resignations. And the same day it was reported that Twitter's ad revenue is well and truly in trouble. So, and by the way, this is forecasted to happen into June as well. So 90% of Twitter's revenue comes from advertising. So food for thought there. I look at it as opportunity for marketers. We've been doing a lot of stuff with Twitter ads and the way we see Twitter ads is, yeah, a lot of marketers may not want to be investing in it, but I see opportunity to get clicks and conversions at a very affordable rate, especially if uh, you want to go after high net worth individuals. We find a lot of them on Twitter. Um, we think it's a great place to spend marketing dollars and we're finding out that the economics are working really well while well, a year to two years ago it just wasn't as affordable from a cac perspective but right now it is so we're doubling down on twitter because of the affordability you know a, a couple of days we did a recording talking about how axios is looking at the future of media and they believe that newsletters are a heavy part of media and obviously they're a newsletter but earlier today i was looking at someone that we've talked about on the pod, Matt McGarry. So he's again, the newsletter guy that helped with the hustle. And I believe he helped with the, the milk road crypto newsletter. And so he knows a thing or two about building newsletters and he's getting emails for $2, $3 a pop or so. And I believe that if you're going to try to build most of you that are listening to this, if you're trying to build a brand for yourself or you're a business, I think it, most of the time it makes sense to have a newsletter and newsletters are kind of making this comeback, which we've talked about. And I don't know what, know about you, Neil, but when I go to Twitter and I look at the ads, a lot of the ads are really random, stupid ads. And so that's an opportunity that tells me that a lot of stuff is underpriced and that a lot of inventory is actually available. And it's your, your chance to buy low when other people are, they're being fearful. So it's now your chance to be greedy specifically for Twitter. If, if you're listening to this podcast, just try Twitter ads out. Even if it's like 50 bucks or a hundred dollars, you'll be shocked on the kind of engagement that you can get for very little money. 
You know, I don't know if you saw the um, – so Elon did an interview with, I believe it was Babylon B. So they're kind of like um, like a humor slash – I don't know. if they, They're funny. I'll just call it that way. It's, it's um, So anyway, they're like a popular podcast. But he did a sit-down with them, and he's like, honestly, like the 44 billion that I paid for Twitter in the grand scheme of things is not going to be a lot of money. And so that's how he looks at it. It's a very long-term view. I mean, he's had companies almost die before. I mean, PayPal almost died before. SpaceX almost died before. Tesla almost died before. He said a lot of things almost die before. So this ain't his first rodeo. It's like the majority of his businesses almost died, but then they yeah. come out really strong and, and big. And you know what? He, he's going to make $180 million from PayPal, and he's going he's gonna to gamble all the money, mostly on SpaceX, and it's going to work. So, you know, that's how he plays the game, and more power to him. I, we're a little more risk-averse than him. So it is what it is. The final thing I'll call out here from this this article is um, – so she's joined Twitter earlier. So Linda Yaccarino, and she has already made so a couple. Everyone of hires. knows. Do you want to tell us what her title is? We know she is the CEO of Twitter, new CEO of Twitter. She came from NBC Universal and ran their ad division. Correct. So it's her job to save this, and you know, I I, I don't think she has a she she probably has a short leash on this. If I'm being honest. So she we'll hired see. some lieutenants and a few other people at least. From yeah. Reading so, online as well. so she hired this guy advertising executive Joe Benaroque and some other people. So reportedly this person reported to her as head of communication strategy for advertising and partnerships. And that is what it is. So it all comes down to hiring at the end of the day. So let's pick the next one. Let's talk about Microsoft expands this ad network to 23 new countries and what this means. I think this is a great segue because the next three topics we want to discuss are all kind of related together. Um, but let's dive into the Microsoft one first. Yep. So the Microsoft ones, I'm looking at this right now. So they're now in a total of 187 markets since 2022. And that means you can reach 14% more markets uh, overall. And I'm reading this piece on Microsoft.com right now. And well, I, I, the way you have to look at it overall is it, it's not just Google that's playing the game, but Microsoft is very much a global game when it comes to advertising on, on Bing. And they're just going to get tougher and tougher because they're adding a lot more enhancements to Bing, especially with the open AI integration. So I think this is good. It adds more competition and it forces both sides to uh, to compete more. And when I say both sides, I mean Microsoft versus Google. I want you guys to think about Microsoft expansion in, in a really simplistic way. Most companies, when they do marketing, they'll think about a region like United States or even if you want to start going after the European Union and go more broad, right? So not just a Germany or not just Italy or not just a France, but the rest of the EU or the UK. There's way more to the world than just some of these regions. These regions are great. I'm not trying to talk trash on them. But it's more so if you want to do well in marketing, you can't just think U.S. or EU or parts of Latin America. you got to think whole world. If you think about regions like Pakistan, they don't have the highest GDP, but it's a growing country, 200 plus million people. Nigeria, growing GDP. Uh, I don't know what the population of Nigeria is, but it's quite large. I think it was similar to 200 million people. 213, right? So that's huge. And if you look at Pakistan, they are the exact numbers 231. There's a lot of people 
in many of these countries and they're developing and they're going to be stronger, maybe not in the next year, but you fast forward five, 10 years, you know, we talked about building a company that lasts generations earlier. Well, the Microsofts, the Apples, the Googles, et cetera, they're playing the long game and they know the money is in, uh, in, in all these countries that have massive populations, maybe not right now, but in the future, even with our ad agency, NP digital within four months, we'll be in 20 plus countries, no joke, 20 plus countries. We're interviewing someone right now or, uh, earlier today to run, uh, Mina, which is middle East and North Africa. And this person was just like, yeah, in this region, I think I can help you drive 15 plus million dollars in revenue. Doesn't seem like a lot, but if you're in 50 or a hundred countries and certain countries, I know that's more of a region, but if certain countries can drive you 10 million, some can drive you 50 million, some can only drive you 5 million, it really starts adding up. That's how you start building bigger businesses that get to not a hundred million in revenue, but 500 million, a billion plus in revenue. It's you need to expand globally if you're trying to create a much larger organization. And it's easier to scale your marketing when you're doing it in multiple countries versus just pounding your head and saying, Hey, I need to get more market share in the United States, which is tough. Neil, do you know how many new markets they launched in 2022? No. Okay, so they launched 130 new markets in 2022. So this is now their fifth wave of global expansion. And this is kind of what we, we came to. And here's the other thing I'll add too. Uh, so Microsoft Clarity, they're, they're a sponsor of, of the podcast. They, what they're doing is interesting too. They're just trying to get more market share. Basically, they're competing with like a hot jar, which is like a heat mapping tool. They're, it's like a you know usability tool, right? They give it away for free and they're also adding AI insights to it. And they're just trying to sponsor and, and get more users, more marketers to use this stuff. And so when you layer on Microsoft Clarity, plus you layer on all the, the open AI enhancements and then all the global expansion that's happening, Microsoft's taking this stuff very seriously. And Satya Nadella, who is the CEO, he said, look, Nobody's made Google Dance in a while, and we just want to make Google Dance. So I think they're kind of making Google Dance a little bit now, right? Did you see Tim Cook dancing yesterday? Did you see that one? No, I didn't see it. Oh, dude, dude, dude. Okay, okay. You pick the next one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find this video. Go. All right. So the next one is WPP partners with Nvidia. Um, this came out like a week or so ago, and they're partnering with them to build a generative AI-enabled content engine for digital advertising. So imagine all the money spent on creating these ad campaigns. Now, what happens if you don't have to be in Sao Paulo to film it? One's if you don't have to be in Paris to film it. One's if you can use generative AI to fill in a lot of the gaps. What this does, short run, yeah, you're spending money on technology, long run, you're saving an arm and a leg to create a lot of these campaigns. You can either choose A to save some of that money, but what I think a lot of companies will do is use the dollars to just create a lot more campaigns. So then you can start AB testing a lot of your creatives to see which ones are working better. And you can start creating higher uh, quality production for much less money, which will start giving startups an edge because they'll be able to start doing similar things for pennies on the dollar. You know what's interesting? It's So I, I don't have a lot to, to add here besides the fact that them WPP making this move is smart because Nvidia is all the hotness right now. And there's a lot of talk about Nvidia kind of being the, one of the foundational layers of AI because th their chips are so far to far ahead of everyone else's. So, you know, Neil and I aren't engineers here, but to partner with kind of the darling of this AI trend now, one that's smart, right? The second one is 
for all the clients that want to get on top of this AI trend now, now they can say, oh, we're partnered with NVIDIA. Don't worry, we'll take care of it for you. So it builds it more lock-in for them. And from a creative standpoint, it's good too. And so um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a win across the board. I'm just kind of wondering why nvidia would do this but it makes a lot of sense because wpb has a huge client base so you know it, they can say it's powered by base. nvidia yeah and eric and i both believe creatives are becoming more of an x factor if not they already are the x factor <clears throat> because through ai and with a lot of marketing it's all turning into me too's where everyone's aware's waldo and no one's really standing out but your creative campaigns like let's say squatty potty by the Harmon brothers if you haven't seen that go and check that out those are examples of like how, how Purple Mattress did their TV commercials. Those type of creatives is really what makes you stand out. And it's hard to just generate or create those through AI. It takes humans to come up with some really uh, compelling and unique campaigns that haven't done before. Because a lot of what's produced with AI is just regurgitating and reproducing what's happened in the past. Hey, what do you think about this creator over here? So those of you that can see on YouTube, so I found the Tim Cook video. So the the caption here is t uh, from, this is from Turner Novak. He's a Twitter user. Tim Apple, after convincing 82% of Americans to spend five paychecks on a pair of ski goggles. <laughs> That's awesome. Good for them. <laughs> have you seen the bill gates stance when they release like one of those it's windows? the same thing it's like the yeah. same thing but um anyway sorry I, I ruined your train of thought um continue no, i i think i pretty much covered it and i think you're on the same page in which we think creatives are the x factor it's like how can you come up with really unique concepts that make you stand out too many people in marketing are just looking to do me too campaigns well, you know what's in, well, not not the, in the sense of literally like hashtag Me Too, but Me Too campaigns. Yeah, but, Me Too, as in the marketing campaigns all blend together and look alike. Right. So, uh, interestingly enough, Neil, be before we had this conversation, I was talking to a guy, and he does a lot of TikTok creative. He calls it like a performance creative agency, and um, the company's called Sapphire Apps. But don't let that name fool you. They focus on creatives, and they do a good job. And so, I, I found it really interesting because. Um, you and I have talked about, it. I've talked about it with other agency owners too. For the most part, agencies are kind of playing in defense right now. And anybody that says they're crushing it in the agency world, for the most part, aren't doing that well. But I actually told this guy, I was like, I actually think you guys are probably doing well in this environment because in this world of everything starting to look the same, this is a chance for you guys to stand out and you guys are super creative. And they actually have a lot of agencies that work with them too. And I think, I was like, man, you know, if you're not really good at data anal analytics or you're not really good at creative, I believe that you are going to be behind in the world of marketing because a lot of it's becoming the same thing. Yep. Totally agree. All right. Last one. So I can cover this one. I'll start with this one. So the hat that I'm wearing right now is from a conference called Capital Camp. That's C-A-M-P. And I went a couple of weeks ago. It's an investor conference. So you have a lot of different types of companies. You have private equity, you have owners of companies, you have hedge funds. That's not the point that I'm trying to make. The point I am trying to make though, is that this is the first time I saw the term and heard of the term creator capitalist, meaning that someone might have a lot of followers on Twitter. They might have a large email list. They might be an author. They might have a lot of followers on their podcast. And so what a lot of these creators are doing is they are building their audience and then they're taking the money that they earn and 
or maybe they're taking the audience that they have and they're going to raise money. But the thing is they are putting that capital to work. So these creators are also capital allocators. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that because the phrase I saw a couple weeks ago from the, one of the founders of morning brew, he's like, you know, in the world of B2B, oftentimes the marketing in B2B lags B2C. So when you look at what Mr. Beast has done or Logan Paul has done, they're way ahead. But now we're seeing more B2B people do this. And you can argue, Neil, you are kind of a, a creator capitalist in a sense, and I kind of am a creator capitalist in a sense too. But I just think we're going to see a lot more of it. I think we will too, right? Um, and it's already happening right now, but I think we're going to really see a lot more within the next two to three years. Yep. So I think... This goes back to, I know this goes back to, I, I actually, I, I did a, a brief talk in front of, um, we had a graduating class of entrepreneurs th this week and the, my, my talk to them was basically, look, if you're not going out there, if you don't have at least one dancing monkey at your company, then I believe that you are going to be behind. You gotta be, you gotta have a dancing monkey. So Neil's a dancing monkey for his, I'm a dancing monkey for mine, but you know, we like being the dancing monkeys. It's fun. Yeah, we don't think there's anything wrong with monkeys, right? We all evolved from them in theory. <laughs> I didn't expect you to say that. Um, all right, anything else? No, that's it. All right, please don't forget to give us a five-star review. Now we're, we're amping up our episodes each week. Please share this with other people as well. And yeah, we will see you tomorrow.